Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association, and this is Hot Topics, TMA's newest monthly podcast episode series. Running a medical practice brings challenges for which medical schools probably didn't prepare you, and it can be an expensive learning experience when you get into a bad arrangement or agreement. While we can't take you back to medical school or your residency program and build in all the business management and leadership curriculum and need to know information into your training, TMA can introduce you to content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and well-known healthcare attorney who serves physicians and practices throughout Texas. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's always great to have you back. Today, we are talking about physicians who may be, let's say, difficult to work with or be around. This is such a big and oftentimes sensitive topic. In your experience, in your years of working and and helping physicians, how have you seen this play out in medical practices? Well, this is obviously a sensitive topic, right? I mean, some people are just difficult to work with, especially type A, really strong-willed people like doctors and lawyers. <laughs> so I totally understand. But this is a sticky situation that you do need to walk through carefully, especially with contract providers. 
But let me start with just a few sort of humorous examples, maybe not so humorous if you were there in that situation. But one time I get a call from a client and they said, we need your help. Drop everything. We've got to get this guy out today. We were done with his antics. And I thought, what did he do? Did he, you know, was he, did he show up drunk to work? I mean, what was the big situation? And they said, look, he's rude to people. Nurses don't like him. But today it was the last straw. We're done. And I thought, oh my gosh, what happened? And they said, well, it was raining, right? Which does happen in central Texas. He walks in the door. He got annoyed that he got raindrops on his like chino khakis. So lo and behold, what does he do? He takes his pants off because that's a normal thing for a fed up doctor to do. (laughs) So he's walking around the clinic all morning in a white coat and boxers. And I think that was the last straw where the group said, get him out of here. Now, is that a difficult doctor or is it just someone maybe who is burned out or lots of explanations there? But what happens in the more serious context when maybe you have a doctor that's doing something really wrong? I had another client who called me and said, look, we're in a partnership, a three doctor partnership. And they noticed that one of their doctors was performing a lot more surgeries than the rest of them. And when they looked into it, it turns out this other doctor was just every single person that came in needed a certain type of surgery, which is not really true. And from a peer review perspective, he was overutilizing those services to get more money, which of course is really not advantageous to patients. So the other two doctors had to figure out how to remove him. They talked to him. They said, you can't be doing surgery on everyone. Um, And he basically said, back off. I can do what I want. I think in that situation, you can say that's a problematic doctor. You need to learn how to extricate yourself from that physician and get out of a partnership. So it's a complicated scenario, and it depends on the employment arrangement as to sort of how to separate yourself from what is perceived as problem physician. Yes, good point. Goodness. So what can be done about a problem physician in situations like these? Well, let's start with the contract doctor, right? The doctor that has a full-blown employment contract. Every employment contract has a termination provision. And so you can just take the easy way out and say, you know what? It's not working out. You know, it's not you. It's me. It's me. It's you. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, here's your 90 days notice. That's the easy scenario. Um, Give him 90 days, let him or her leave. You don't necessarily need to jump to termination for cause. That causes a lot of ripple effects, unless, of course, you think it's absolutely required. There have been times where you need to terminate a provider for cause because of patient harm, um, because there are significant issues that you need to raise. Most of the time, if it's, for example, a personality conflict or the doctor just doesn't get along with the rest of the staff, and you think, "Eh, it's just really not a good fit, then you can terminate the physician without cause, which is a lot easier. And there's no reporting requirements to the National Practitioner's Data Bank. So if that's the easy way out, I will say terminate the physician without cause, 90 days, or whatever the contract allows for. They're not always 90 days. And then you're done. I think there's also other ways to get a problem physician out of a group, right? You can terminate for cause. Um, You can try to surprise, look at the root of the problem to see if there's some way you can fix it. I think that is the bigger question here, Heather, is how did it get to the point where you have invested in this physician? She has joined your practice. It costs money and time to be a ramp up period for this physician to make money. And all of a sudden you realize, oh no, there's a problem. 
So I think that let's start thinking about hope and redemption for this provider. Is it possible that what you see as a difficult physician, it's not at all about a difficult physician. It's just maybe a physician that is going through a difficult time or a physician that is not highly trained in customer service or patient relations. And is there a way you can fix it? Because who knows, it might be that with the right training and you know, with the right education, this doctor may not be a problem after all. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say that. So what are some suggestions that may help prevent issues from getting worse? Well, back in the day, I would shadow doctors um, as a part of a consulting service for a client. So I would go into the clinic rooms with the physician, with my clipboard, full permission from the patient, have to say that because I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so, and I would watch the doctor, you know, during his 50, his or her 15 minute slots. And you'd think that I wouldn't notice a thing because doctors would be on their best behavior when they have a shadow following them around. But lo and behold, I was always able to see what behaviors were really causing issues, either with staff or with patients. And so that is a suggestion I highly recommend is have a good shadow that is excellent with customer service that can shadow your pro- what you consider your problem doctor and see what they're doing that might be causing complaints. It might surprise you to hear the answer. For example, one doctor who we constantly got complaints from, the staff, we got complaints from patients. He seemed like a grumpy surgeon that nobody could get along with. And I guess if you could categorize him, you might say, oh, that's one of our problem doctors. But when I shadowed him, I realized that he was so logical and so left-brained, he didn't think about including empathy statements in his day. So when a patient would come to him, he would say, I have reviewed your records. This is the surgery you need. Please talk to the scheduling coordinator. And he came across as gruff and rude and insensitive. So we literally had to sit down, Heather, with note cards that said things like, ouch, that must really hurt. Or, wow, you've been going through this for a long time. I'm so sorry. And once he started weaving in those empathy statements, man, his patient sats went way up. You know, he learned with the staff when they came in late and they were flustered because their kid was sick for him to say, I'm so sorry. That must really be hard to juggle work in a family. And boom, everything started to change the course of this being a problem doctor to, oh, wow, he's really softening. He's the same person, Heather, but it was the teaching and the coaching. And that was a success story. It does not always work out that way. But my point is if you can try to salvage one of your staff that you have invested so much in, I think that's really wise because then you can say, okay, you're not a problem doctor. You just maybe don't have the skills that other people do in interpersonal relationships. Um, It may be something as small as not sitting down in the exam room or acting elitist or, you know, looking at your watch, anything that makes a patient feel unheard or a staff feel unheard. So that's my first step. Try to prevent it from happening. Shadow, coach, even maybe ask them if they can do a CME that might be able to help in this area. Try some rehabilitation. And I think that communication is really key so they know you're on their team. You want them to be successful. Right. Great. Now, is there a time or situation when a physician is obligated to report disruptive behavior? 
Yes. Um, if you have a situation of sexual harassment that you know your partner is committing, if you think your partner is diverting drugs, if you think your partner has a substance abuse problem, if you, these are, well, and let's state the obvious, if a physician is causing, you know, harm to the public safety welfare of a patient, you know, if it's a threat at all to patients, then yes, you do have an absolute obligation to make sure that's known. Um, anytime there's a public threat to the safety of patients, that is a big concern. Sometimes it triggers a reporting to the NPDB because there is such a significant concern that it needs to be raised. It's not ideal, obviously, to be reporting doctors left and right. You want to dig in and see if there is a solution to the problem. But there are times, absolutely, if a patient is being harmed or if there's substance abuse occurring at the workplace, anything like that, there has to be a reporting to administration, sometimes to the right regulatory agency. And it's very sad when it gets to that level. Absolutely. So if it is determined that it's best for everyone involved, that a physician should indeed leave the practice, what needs to be in place for that to happen? Well, the first step is communication. You know, let's let's sit down with each other and say, this isn't working. Let's see if there's a way that we could separate ourselves. And it could be amicable. I've seen it amicable where it's not personal. It's just that there's business reasons why the parties don't need to be in the same group. You know, if it if there is a reporting issue or if there's a substance abuse issue, that's still something I suggest you talk to the doctor about. I had a doctor that called me in a panic because he had was facing losing his privileges. He was considered um, a problem doctor by the hospital. And it turns out he had a substance abuse problem. Um, he was addicted to cocaine and he was using cocaine in the midst of his practice obviously not acceptable. And we ended up sending him to a very helpful program and it's called the Texas Physician Health Program. And that is a very unique situation here in Texas where if a doctor has a substance abuse problem, they can sign up for this program. They enroll themselves in the correct substance abuse program that's authorized by this group. It's completely confidential. And they then say to the hospital or the employer, he is employable because we are making sure that he or she is enrolled and taking these courses as prescribed. It's a great way to get a doctor back into practice and make sure that their substance abuse needs are being taken care of because doctors are human, Heather. I mean, everyone thinks that a doctor is supposed to be this idyllic listener and that she never has a bad day, and that every patient comes in as her best friend, and she just can't wait to hear about the mole, the ear infection, the abscess. Tell me more. I care so much about you. I tell you, after seeing 25 patients, sometimes you just simply run out of energy. <laughs> you, know, you run out of patience, and you snap, and you know you have children and a family life too. So it doesn't always have to rise to the level of substance abuse. It could just be there's needs to be some time off, could be burnout. There's lots of reasons why uh, you might tell a doctor, let's talk this through. That's the first step. Let's talk this through. I think we have an issue. If it's a substance abuse problem, let's get you help. If it's burnout, let's make sure you have a different type of schedule that works for your needs. If it's if you're going through a temporary 
situation like a divorce or a very traumatic incident, let's make sure you have the time to deal with that to where you can come back and treat patients refreshed and ready to go. But that all requires communication with the doctor. And I'll tell you, I have seen this work well if the physician at issue is willing to play ball. If they know that their employer cares about them and wants them to be successful, it can work out 80% of the time. But if the doctor at issue is defensive and says, you know, leave me alone, you don't know my life, or I'm not doing anything wrong, that's when things start to break down. So also having a solid contract provision um, is a need to, to have in place. What do you do, Amanda, if you don't have an out clause in the contract? That's a great question. Every once in a while, I come across a contract that does not have a termination without cause provision. And so you're stuck. You know, do you go and terminate this doctor for cause? And then for the rest of the doctor's career, they have to say yes on the credentialing application, right? Where it says, have you been fired? In my experience in doing this for 20 years, it's a collegial profession. Doctors don't usually want to ruin another doctor's career or thwart their entire future. Um, That being said, if there isn't a way out of the contract, then you need to mutually agree. That to me is always the better option. So let's say you have a doctor who is belligerent, who cannot seem to get along with anyone. You've trained them, you've talked to them until you're blue in the face, and he just will not listen. In that case, you might say, here's your choice. We can fire you. We always have the ability to fire someone under a contract. You can terminate them for cause. There's typically always a provision for cause that you can term a doctor, or we will accept your resignation. And I encourage you to ask that doctor to resign because it is much better for that doctor's career. Even though it might seem humiliating to be sort of forced to resign, it's much better to resign than be fired. So that's a way you can sit down with them and say, please listen, we don't want to have to fire you. We will if we have to. And remember, every contract can be breached. And so if a doctor is acting in such a way where she's not fulfilling her obligations, she's not coming to work on time, she's treating patients or staff in a hostile manner, then she's breaching the contract. So that's always an out of a contract to say you're breaching this agreement because you are not fulfilling your end of the bargain here. And you don't want to get to that point. You know, I always say just because you carry a stick doesn't mean you need to go beating people with it. You know, I have 20 years of healthcare experience and yet I don't go file lawsuits all the time just to be a bully. Always try to work it out, be amicable, think about that doctor's future, be a kind person and understand that that is the right way to start the dynamic before terminating them for breach. You know, we always hear that if a partnership is a lot like a marriage, what can physicians do to keep it professional and lessen that emotional strain? That is a great question because it really is like a lifetime relationship, right? When you're working with someone every day, eight or nine hours side by side, you know, it's just like any other very personal relationship in your life. You see them every day. You have to be able to get along with them. And just like in a you know personal relationship, when there is strain in a marriage or a partnership, then you might sit down and say, I think things are a little off base. You know, how can we get them back on track? Um, and you wouldn't go to therapy in the work setting, but you can certainly say, how can we sit down with maybe a mediator and help us resolve some things that we can't seem to work through? 
I think that's really wise. A third party can really help, especially if two doctors have very strong personalities and there's a lot of ego involved. And so if it, if it takes a, a kind of a mediator to sit down and say, both of you have valid points, it's just the way you're communicating is the problem, then that's helpful to know. I had a client once that did that actually had their physicians take these quick, not detailed personality quizzes that corresponded, I believe, to colors. I mean, there's a hundred personality tests out there, but this one, everybody had a certain color. And if I remember correctly, red was sort of the, the type A in control type. And then maybe a green was more of a feeler and more empathetic, you know, so every color translated to a different personality type that actually was really helpful because when two doctors butted heads, they would say, well, that makes sense. Cause you're a red and I'm a red and we're both sort of at each other. Um, then you realize when you're dealing with, for example, a green and you say, well, I, I think that might've come across too harsh because they're a feeling type of person. So I need to maybe rephrase the way I state that to them. It was really helpful to have doctors understand each other. So when they had conversations and they're talking to someone with a completely different personality type, they can reframe or readdress or think about the communication style. That's just one of many examples, but you can't just throw a bunch of very highly trained, very smart people in an office and expect that they're magically going to get along. <laughs> you know, that is ludicrous. You can't get along in a family and everyone loves each other. You can't always get along in the office setting, especially when you have a lot of chiefs in this one kitchen, right? So you have to make sure that you very clearly discuss with each other things that start to go wrong before they get out of control. Um, it's good for management, I think, if you have a, a mid-sized practice to be aware of tensions when it starts to rise, because trust me, it is expensive. It's expensive to fire a doctor and hire a new one. 15, 20 years ago, a boss told me once or a client, I was in-house counsel, so he was my boss. And he said, every time we fire a doctor, that's 30 grand. And it's probably a lot more now, Heather, because the fact that recruitment costs and getting a doctor onboarded is expensive. So I think it's best to sit down and try to rehab this relationship like a marriage rather than always getting divorced. That's my two cents. And I, I know other people think it's not possible. And you know, they, it's easy to pin a doctor as a bad doctor that doesn't fit within the group, but it's sometimes better to try to say, how can we better understand where they're coming from? Yeah. As, as a yellow green myself, I appreciate all these details and information. They, Amanda, this has been incredible, so helpful. How can our physicians learn more? Well, you can email me anytime. I will send anyone who sends me an email a free summary of this episode, and I am always thrilled to help doctors. That's what I love to do. So go to my website, which is hillhealthlaw.com. Shoot me a note, and this episode summary will arrive in your inbox. And thank you so much, Heather, for all of this. It's been really great. Fantastic. As always, Amanda, thank you so much for answering my questions and for all the guidance you provided today and for, well, all the, all the contributions you've made to our other programs available in the TMA Education Center. So thank you. To our listeners, we hope you find this episode beneficial. Check the episode description for the link to email Amanda 
and for the link to the TMA Education Center where you can claim CME for this episode, as well as access more education on this topic. Watch for next month's episode in this series where we will discuss the flip side of the issue where you might be the problem. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well.